Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12 and 30 say this, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What does it mean to act like a woman? Does how a young woman presents herself matter? Does being pursued by a young man change the way a young woman presents herself? Joining me today on the Wittenberg Hour is regular guest, Miss Ellie Mummy. Ellie, thank you for being here today. It's great to be here as always. Proverbs 31 can sometimes be cliche among Christians. It can be used to create a picture of an unrealistic and unattainable Christian woman. Yet, can it also be helpful to having a proper understanding of how a woman should act and present herself? I certainly think it can. Looking at the text, I think we always interpret this one of two ways as kind of a whole. We either take it far too literally, which is just unattainable, or we take it far too figuratively. We're trying to find the middle ground throughout this podcast because it's not really helpful to take it either of those two ways. There are literal things that we can take from it, but you can't take it purely literally and you can't take it purely figuratively. And I think that's a that's a good discussion to have because chances are you've mostly been exposed to it in one of those two ways, in a very literal or a very figurative way. And that's not always very helpful to a practical application in your own life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, go ahead and start walking through Proverbs 31. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, just to kind of give us, to, to bring that, our, our listeners might not have their Bibles in front of them. So, so context always matters. So, so let's uh, get into some context. So Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10 says, an excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for, her, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So I... Uh, it seems, at least from my reading of the text, uh, that verses 10 through 12 kind of introduce the rest of the proverb. It kind of uh, sets it up, and then 
the re- the rest at least you know up through verse 27 um it 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 sets it up and and then uh 13 through 27 is kind of the proof okay so an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels the heart of her husband trust she does him good and not harm all the days of her life that's the end of verse 12 and then when we get into 13 okay this is how these are all the ways that she does that thing you know the, these are the ways that she does verses 10 through 12 i would say but i'm interested in in your thoughts as well that kind of the thesis if we were to put a thesis on proverbs i don't usually think of proverbs as having theses but if we were to do that that verse 12 could perhaps be the thesis she does him good and not harm all the days of her life before we start talking about the bulk of Proverbs 31, I want to point out that this whole thing is not about how great the woman is. You know, that that we don't read Proverbs 31 and make it a checklist for the woman to have for herself because she's going to be the greatest woman on earth. That Proverbs 31 lives within the context of vocation. And not everyone who reads Proverbs 31 lands on that. You know, a lot of times it becomes the the checklist for the Christian woman. And it becomes, as, as I mentioned earlier, it becomes this unattainable list. Like, I don't have that many colors of material to make that many clothes, <laughs> right? You know, and so, yeah. um, but, but, yeah. just, but just thinking about how this all has to, we have to frame this within vocation because it's, it's not about her and how great her efforts reflect on her. And none of these things does she do to win accolades for herself. Everything that she does is for the sake of her husband, her children, and her community. Yeah, certainly. And I think that really is the main point. It's this this question of vocation and that that's the context in which this passage should be talked about is vocation of a wife. Um, and I think it's great, first of all, I mean, yes, to, to say this is what you should look for in a wife. Again, not drastically literally, but a general understanding of what it is you're looking for. But then, of course, and I think probably more so what we're going to end up talking about is how then you as women read the passage, because we're not looking for wives. We are looking to be wives. Um, And so that's kind of a different discussion and understanding. And when you read this passage, it becomes a lot less overwhelming to read it. If you're not just kind of like, I haven't done any of these things. I don't, I don't have wool. I don't have flax. I don't don't even have the first verse down. Um, You're just looking at it from a sense of vocation of what is this woman doing? What is this woman's vocation? How does she use the vocation? How can I imitate that in my own situation in life? And that very much is, I think, the proper way to discuss this. You can also discuss it as this is what wisdom is. You have these, you know, obviously Christological discussions that you can have. But if you're going to take it for the everyday Christian's life, I think you have to talk about it vocationally. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, regular listeners of the Wittenberg Hour know that I love to talk about vocation. And generally, everything somehow comes back to vocation because it's, it's, it's so important in terms of understanding who we are. Husbands don't look for wives apart for uh, young men don't look for wives i should say um husbands already have wives so they shouldn't be looking for them um but but uh young men don't look for a wife apart from the reality of that relationship right and young women don't become wives apart from the reality of of that relationship so this list can't be understood apart from relationship. Because once we take it out of the context of relationship, then uh, it just becomes a resume. 
And, you know, and then the Bible just becomes a, a list of rules by which we have to abide. And, you know, if if this is, you know, going to your point, you know, I, I don't have any flax and I just ran out of wool. So what am I going to do? If we make it into a checklist, then very easily we turn into Pharisees. And we make these a list of rules that we can keep so that we can make the grade and fit the list. And that becomes a, a pretty dangerous road to go down just in terms of understanding who we are as women. And that's really, um, I think, what we're going to get into today is this whole idea of of how do young women, old women, how do women carry themselves? How do we relate to those around us? There's a lot that Proverbs 31 gives us in terms of helping us understand some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a big conversation to have. I think it's a conversation that a lot of people are weighing in on right now the whole topic of what women are and what women should do and how they should act and present themselves is huge in culture and therefore also echoed in church community and all of that. We're kind of wrestling with that as a whole society right now. And I think, again, that vocational thing, viewing this from a vocational standpoint is the thing that is going to save you from feeling overwhelmed or incapable of succeeding. And being able to, you know, it would be very easy to read this in a literal sense and be like, I can't do this. So I'm just not going to be a wife because clearly I've got nothing to offer. That's not, that's not helpful. That's not what this passage is about. And so I think you have to read it from a vocational sense of what does this woman, woman view her vocation to be? How does she perform her vocation and work in, in light of her vocation? And how can I echo that? in my life, both before I have a husband and then once I have a husband. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, as we start to break this down. Okay, so starting at, the, uh, at, at verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands, right? I mean, if, if, we're, if we're going to start pulling some of these things out in terms of, okay, so obviously the key in this is not the wool and flax, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's not yeah. the, yeah. it's not the, the material with which she's working. I would reckon that it's more the willing hands, that we're we're thinking about so i think yeah it's more focused on the willing hands but actually i do think it the wool and the flax have a purpose because i do think she's working and she's using her hands you know she's basically focusing on this idea of work but she's also gaining things she has wool and flax and then if we look at 14 as well She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. So this is kind of focusing on the fact that she's she's not she's not focusing on random wishy-washy things that she's going to acquire for herself. She's getting the very practical wool and flax and food. She she is, you know, occupying herself with the simple things that are necessary, clothing and food. And that is that is what she works in order to achieve. She's not working in order to get riches and working in order to be, you know, the super fancy decorated individual. She's working for the practicality of it. So I do think in that way it does play in a little more than we expect it to, but the key is that she works and that her work produces those very important things of clothing and food. I love the line, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. It's not it's not like she's only eating, you know. She 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 works and gains food, but she only eats bread and water because she's humble and whatnot. And she, you know, she's not going to show off in that regard. She no, she brings her food from afar. She has, you know, she's able to pre prepare lavish feasts for her guests. She's able to have, you know, these these specialties and delicacies. She's not, she's not being Scrooge-like about her money and her, her work, 
but she's also being practical about it. She's putting it into the food that people eat and the clothing that people wear instead of other things. I like that contrast of the the practicality of the flax and wool, the idea of providing and 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 working willingly, you know, that piece of things. Um, but also she brings her food from afar. So what she's preparing uh, is is appealing and it's it's thought out, you know, that it's um, she wants to put uh, good food on the table for her family and provide well um, in that way because um, making food is an act of love and service, right? Yeah, and, and I think we're, what we're going to find out throughout this entire passage focuses, of course, on the home because, biblically speaking, the home is the woman's domain. It is the wife's domain. It is how she, it is she runs it. She's in control of it. She's the one who makes it what it is, makes it home. And we're going to follow that through as we go along, but this certainly plays into it. And not to <laughs> go down the rabbit hole right off the bat, but that's kind of what's in contention right now is that the woman should not be in control of the home and that the woman shouldn't have to be stuck in the home as though being stuck in the home is the, the woman in the attic trope where she's just sobbing upstairs and doesn't have control over anything. Of course, that's not the biblical understanding of it. And this we start to see why is that the woman has this really fantastic and unique ability and responsibility to make the home fantastic. You're not, you're not just making it bland and like, Oh, I got to, throw something in the microwave and we've got to do whatever you have this freedom to bring in this really elaborate personality, your own interests, your own passions, so that your husband is literally looking forward to every meal. It's not even, it's not just a repetitive, boring part of your day, but the wife has this innate ability to make every aspect, every boring aspect of the day into this really beautiful, wonderful thing that does her husband good, not harm all the days of his life, and is more precious than jewels because you get it every day. And so I think that's the fascinating thing is that she's she's taking the boring thing we have to eat three times a day every single day and then making it its own and making it something that the husband looks forward to literally every meal because he knows it's going to be great. And that I think is something I also want to come back to over and over again is that in most things, but I think especially in marriage, there's a good way of thinking about the gifts that God gives as being overflowing in that God is not a, I'm going to make things good. He's going to overflow the cup. He doesn't fill it to the brim. He's constantly overflowing everything. And that is hugely um, obvious in marriage. I think it's probably the most obvious way to talk about that because you even get it in the literal sense of when a couple gets married, it's not just, oh, you're full to the brim. The two of you are one. You're, you're your own unit. It overflows with kids. And so it's like, well, now there's more people. So it's not even just the two of you. There's more. And we're overflowing the cup. But we're doing this even in the context of food, of now we're just, oh, I got to remember to eat again today. You know, I have to cook something. I have to put something through. It's now something you look forward to and you anticipate. And so it's this overflowing of the wife gets to be the person that takes a very mundane thing and makes it the best part of the day for and anyone that's involved, the kids, the husband, the servants, what we're going to see, it's not just him alone that benefits from this, but it overflows into benefiting literally everyone around. So I think this is kind of where we start with that is you, you don't have to just cook flax, for example, and just have flax seed and everything. And that's the way that you're going to achieve this. You get to make cooking your own. You get to, you know, get food from afar, get food from near and, and make this a big thing for your everyday life. It's a big part of your day. And it's not just a part that you overlook. It's a part everybody's looking forward to. And I think that's the difference is that the wife and the Proverbs 31 woman is taking things that would otherwise be boring and mundane and making them 
the most exciting and the most anticipated moments of the day. Yeah, and I I like that imagery of the ordinary and the mundane, right? Because this is vocation, right? I mean, vocation is the ordinary. It is um, it is the thing that we are given to do. We don't do things just because they're exciting, right? But the things that we do become that way because they're done in love. Uh, for the service of of one's neighbor. So even if we're in a season of life where uh, we are living on grilled cheese sandwiches, right? <laughs> you know, like even if that is, um, they are going to be fantastic grilled cheese sandwiches because they are made thoughtfully and intentionally. It's not, I mean, this is the thing about, about vocation is that we, we live out our vocations intentionally, not as an afterthought, right? If the Proverbs 31 woman is looking out for herself and saying, okay, how can I make this the most uh, fantastic, exciting, uh, gourmet meal possible because then my husband is going to praise me, right? That's backward right? She makes it the most fantastic, exciting gourmet meal that she's capable of because it's going to benefit her husband and her family and whoever else might be sitting at her table. It's not that she's doing it to receive the praise. The fact that she does it elicits praise uh, because she's done it, right? It's not, it's the motivation behind what we're doing. It's, it, which makes it so cool. Yeah. And I think, I think that's also well illustrated by the fact that what you're doing, you're doing for the other person. Because I think another way to kind of approach this and an important thing to say is that you don't have to like doing these things when you're not doing them for other people. So I currently live on my own. I'm not married yet. I, you know, am very ready to do these things, but have two more months to wait before I can do them for another person. And it's not that motivating for me to cook three meals a day for myself. Like it's just not, I would rather just microwave something or, you know, eat a sandwich where I don't have to prepare it. But anytime I'm with other people, I immediately want to cook for them. I'm more than willing to actually make a meal. I just don't want to do it for myself. And that's okay. So I think there can be this huge internal stress that, oh, because you don't cook for yourself, you're not going to be willing to do that for your spouse when you have a spouse. But the whole point is that you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing it because you love the person and you want to serve the person. And it's a really, really easy and really fundamental way of showing love for that person is making sure that they get their meals and that they don't have to go through the work of preparing it themselves. Um, I think this is well illustrated. My parents were a great example of this. My father worked next to our house, so he was able to come home for all three meals per day. But my dad is a very schedule-oriented person. So the way my mom shows him love mealtime-wise is that the meals are at the same time every day. So regardless of what's going on in her life, she knew his life would run smoother if supper was at 6 p.m. every evening, no matter what. We just, we always had it at 6 p.m. Even if we had things going on, we ate at the same time because that made his life far easier, which seems like a really, I mean, random thing as, as again, someone who lives on my own, I eat when I'm hungry and I don't worry about it. But it's a really simple way of showing love is to make sure you have that food ready when the other person needs it and it makes everything go so much smoother. And again, it doesn't matter if that's, you order pizzas and they arrive at 6 p.m. You're just providing food and making sure that there's that order to his life and to the life of your home that makes it run so much smoother and feel so much more welcoming and open for them to come home to. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we keep coming back to it, but I, I think it bears repeating as many times as we repeat it that um, that this is not about the woman, right? It's about her serving and um, and whatever she is serving. But this doesn't mean um, that 
that within this, this doesn't mean that we can't have an eye toward, well, how do I make grilled cheese special? I keep picking on grilled cheese, but, you know, um, but, you know, even, even the, the simple and ordinary, right. Um, I, that I always misquote this and it's, it's in the back of my head right now. Luther's marriage quote about the wife should make her husband want to, uh, come home. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I know which one you're talking about, and I cannot think of it off the top of my head in the correct wording either, but I know what you're talking about. It's this sense of the husband is anticipating coming home, and that's where he wants to be, and that's due to the wife. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And and so it's not, um, and, and I think we'll get into this a, a little bit more, but it's not... Um, that we're creating this leave it to beaver sort of world, you know, in, in that regard. But there needs to be intention behind her actions, you know, and I think that we see that at the beginning of um, kind of what I'm calling the bulk of, of Proverbs 31 in that, okay, she seeks wool and flax, right? There's an intentional act there. She is like the ships of the merchant. Uh, she brings her food from afar. You know, there's, there is, um, like merchant ships don't just randomly uh, float around the ocean and hope cargo lands on their deck, right? You know, there's, there's an intention and there's a plan. And, you know, maybe that is, you know, you had talked about managing the house um, before that that is the woman's domain. Even something as simple as making a grocery list and comparing ads and finding uh, good deals, uh, you know, to, to be a good steward of the resources of the home, you know, these are all things that are not just, okay, once I'm married, I'll do this. But these are, are habits that we can have regardless of season of life. Absolutely. And I think that kind of flows into 15 and 16 that we're now kind of getting to, which is she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She's, she's, she's doing a lot of anticipation. She does a lot of work for the future. And I think that's very important. And I think this is kind of the end of the section about the preparation of food and mealtime. We're kind of walking through these different atmospheres and realms that belong to the woman. So mealtime is certainly one of them. And it's this idea, I love verse 15 because it, it sheds light on something I think we don't talk about very much in that she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. That's not a pleasant thing to do. Nobody likes getting up in the middle of the night in order to just make food. That's not that's not anyone's hobby. Nobody loves to do that. I worked at a bakery. I had to be there at 3 a.m. I've done this in the middle of the night to make food and it's fine, but it's not my passion in life. I don't, I'm not thrilled to get up in the wee hours of the morning to prepare food. But the whole point is that this is not about her. She's doing it for the other people. So the thought of what her preferences are and her interests are doesn't really cross her mind because this is her role and this is what she's doing. And I think we don't talk about that enough because I hear a lot of debate, especially now with the young women that are near my age about how they don't like cooking, but their husband likes cooking. So their husband does all the food and they, they don't cook because they don't like it. And I always just kind of want to say, well, what's the point? you're not supposed to do it because you like doing it. It's You're not doing it because it's your hobby. You're doing it because it's your job. It's your vocation. That's why you do it. And so you don't have to like doing it. You don't have to like cooking and say, oh, I love preparing meals. That's what I want to do with all of my time. Nobody's asking you to prepare a four course meal and to, you know, learn how to, you know, cook whole chickens and do all of these you know, fancy food situations, you are just the one responsible for feeding your family. And so find a system that works for you, but realize that that's your job and that that relieves the stress of your husband and of the household if you run the food and that it doesn't really matter if you like doing it. You don't have to like 
preparing food for your family to be able to do it. Because I think that's another big internal struggle that women have and that young ladies have is, but I don't really like cooking. So then, you know, what I, I would not be a good wife because I don't like cooking. I don't want to be in the kitchen. I don't have an interest in that. Well, that's not your, that's not the point. You don't have to like doing it. Just learn to do the basics, learn to cook an egg, learn to make rice on the stove, learn how to tell if a chick, like if a chicken breast is cooked all the way through, just learn the very basics so that you are able to, to perform this aspect of your vocation if you're given it. Um, and so I think that's really important is that she knows how to do this and that this is something we should teach young women how to do is they should know how to prepare food for their household. Um, they should know how to consider a field and buy it and plant a vineyard. You know, this idea of maintaining food and gathering food for your household is a very female thing to do. And you don't have to like doing it, but it's just part of what women do and that I think is very much something that you as mothers should instill in your daughters is just make sure that they know how to do these things before they leave your house. Um, or if they already have moved out of your household, make sure you're teaching them when they come back and that they know how. Just not because they need to love it and it needs to be their favorite thing in the world, but because it's part of their vocation and is something that they can do on a daily basis to serve and show love for their spouse. And then I think we get into all these other ways that that happens as we move on through that. But I think it starts with meal making. And I think meal making is one of the easiest ones to do as a newlywed even is to just say, okay, I'm still figuring out what all of my vocation, vocational aspects are in this new vocation I have, but at least I know I'll, I'll have some kind of food on the table every day. And I, I have that part down. There's something to eat. We'll be able to survive because we can eat. And then you can kind of move on from there. So I think it's important we start with food, but I also think it's a good conversation to have about how these don't always have to give you the greatest aspect of joy in order to do them or to be good at use, doing them in a vocation, because it's not about you. It's about the person that you're serving. And this is one of the easiest and best ways to serve them. Yeah, and sometimes the the joy comes as you do it more, right? That the sometimes the um as you prepare food and as you get better at it and as you're able to bring more variety into uh what you're preparing. When my husband and I got married, for instance, I I never made bread from scratch, for example. And and now I make all of our glutinous products <laughs> from scratch. And so there are things that that change as you serve that you're going to maybe find things, oh, you know, I really like grilling or I really like crockpot food or whatever the case may be. But the but the um, the important point is that that it's not necessarily the what it's again the how and it's the intention behind what you are doing now i always um in, in am intrigued by the beginning of verse 15 where it says she rises while it is yet night and you talked about working at a bakery i think sometimes we don't take advantage of of situations where we can avoid the ships in the night sort of existence that sometimes husbands and wives can fall into. You know, he has his schedule, she has her schedule, and never the twain shall meet, right? You know, but making those sorts of yeah. intentional decisions are really are really key and important in terms of living out the vocations that we've been given. And maybe Maybe that's what verse 15 is referring to. I think so. And I also think something that has been really fascinating to discuss a lot in the last few months is the fact that marriage is, of course, it is a God-given vocation with very specific roles and expectations for each individual. So it's not like you get to get married and then make up what you want it to be, and that's what you're going to do. You either can live as best you can according to the vocations that God has assigned to you and that you've chosen to enter into, or you can just defy those vocations and do what you want to. And that 
that's just how it is. So then as you're preparing for marriage or once you're in marriage, you want to continually return to, okay, but what is my vocation here? What am I supposed to do regardless of what I want to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do? What is my decision-making process here? And you, you kind of get built in lessons and kind of built in lab work, so to speak, where you learn again, like kind of relearn what your vocations are and what your opportunity should be. Because the other thing that verse 15 makes me think of is all of my friends who've gotten married in the last three to five years and who then ended up having a baby who demanded that their mother got up in the middle of the night to prepare food for them and to provide food for them because that's what the baby needed was to nurse in the middle of the night. And so I think approaching marriage, you can understand it's not always easy to do this. It's not like you're, again, magically going to want to get up at 3 a.m., but you you will learn to, and you will learn to, again, sacrifice yourself for the benefit of others, and God has a way of providing opportunities for you to learn that. Um, and so babies are a great example for that. I think that's why I tend to be very hesitant towards the people who say that you train your baby to not feed in the middle of the night immediately and that you train your baby so that you're able to have that infinite amount of sleep at night so that you can function better because ultimately that's about you and we always need to focus on the baby and perhaps having that baby is it's many things but is a way for you to remember that ultimately you getting up in the middle of the night to serve your family is is a good thing it's not a miserable thing that you never want to do. It it might be miserable, but it is part of your vocation and you can do it and you can do it happily. And so I think there is this way, especially initially when you're married and you're not used to doing this and you haven't been doing it for 20 years or 15 years, God provides ways for you to practice. He's very good at that. Um, he very, very seldomly gives you the virtues that you pray for just magically overnight, he gives you opportunities to learn them and practice them and get better at them and develop them. And I think that's a good example is that a lot of couples end up having children very quickly after they get married. And then of course, they get all of the experience getting up and providing for their family in the middle of the night because their family demands that because they're very young and they need it. So I think there's also that aspect where understand that these are your vocational roles once you've entered into a relation into marriage um, and realize that you will get ample opportunity to practice. You are not going to be perfect ever, but certainly not initially when you start. Um, so you have these goals and these things that you're constantly working towards. And then you understand that you're going to be provided with plenty of opportunities to practice and to get better and to mess up and then reconcile and work from there. So I think that is really a big part of it. And again, is another way to approach things like parenting. You should view your parenting decisions not as, does this make it easiest for me? But is this what's best for my child? Is this what my child needs? Um, and this illustrates that. You can you can rise up in the middle of the night and feed your child. And that that is not a negative effect to you, even if you feel it the next day because you're exhausted. It is it is to your gain and it is to your family's gain and to your husband's gain. And I think that's a big part of it too. So as we go on and look at the next uh, few verses that are coming up here, let's see, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, right? So this is clearly talking about becoming Rosie the Riveter and, uh, and breaking glass ceilings, right? I mean, this is becoming the modern woman and um, being whatever she wants to be, right? That's, that's what that's talking about, right? Well, I mean, if you really, if you look at it, all of 16 to 24 can be, it's all about her working because she's buying fields, she's making linen garments and selling them and working with the merchant and doing all of this work, which I think is very interesting, but it also allows for freedom because again, we, we like to be too literal or we like to be too figurative and then end up being very legalistic about what we decide for vocations. And this is a great passage for that. This passage is exceptionally free and kind of loose about this. She is working and serving her family and directly or indirectly also her neighbors and her community. 
but you have a lot of freedom for how you do that. You know, she can make linen garments and sell them and be with the merchants. She can also reach out her hand to the poor and to the needy and serve them. She can make bed coverings. She can, you know, dress her family well. Uh, her husband can be very renowned. Like you have a lot of freedom here. But again, the whole point of this is that she she's doing it so that the lamps do not go out at night, so that um, her household is clothed in scarlet. It's it's not for her, and it's not about her. She's doing what she can to provide for her family. And going back to what I said earlier, God doesn't do just, we'll fill the cup to the brim. He very much overflows it. So this is then the overflowing is, okay, I have this skill. I have this ability. I can use it not only to benefit my family, but also the poor and needy, also the people in my community, uh, the merchants. I can work to take care of all of the people around me as a natural output for the things I already do for my family. So it's still family first, and we see that constantly. But this is also a passage that does not condemn a woman who ends up working. Um, it just really insists that family and home life comes first. But if that family and home life extends to your community, that's great. It just stems from the home. Your your home is the central point and it goes out from there. And it should go out from there. And we're more than happy for it to go out from there. But that's really what it is, is it's we've divided it so much in modern society. It's, well, you're either stuck at home or you're going to work. Where it's, no, you're going to work at home and doing all of this work and that you're able to serve the people around you from doing that. So it, it is a big part of that. Um, is is not so segregating the two groups that you can't see what it is. But it also changes the way that we view working as a modern society because we very much view working as a modern society in a very blue collar or white collar way. And you're going and you're leaving and you're just doing the thing and then you're coming home and they're separate. They're two separate worlds. So we were not used to society the way it would have been biblically or even would have been a hundred years ago, where if you're cooking and cleaning, you're, you know, or even just if you think about the harvest, if you're canning strawberry jelly um, because it's strawberry season and you're going to preserve all these strawberries and all of these, um, strawberry jams and everything at the end of the day, you can end up just inviting everybody else to do it with you. And you're ending up serving all of your community because you've invited six friends to go pick with you and then go put everything up. You're still serving your family, but you're also serving your community because you're mentoring younger people in the community on how to do those things. You're serving them. You're also putting up for them. You're teaching them through example, okay, well, the tomatoes are in season. Let's put them up. We need to make all these things so that we're prepared for the next year. You bring them in who may not have known that. So I think we don't think about community that way currently and that that makes it harder to understand this because it's really serving your community through the things that you do at home. And I think also opening your house to others is a big part of this. So being willing to have people come stay with you, being willing to, you know, feed other people or even just, you know, do the very simple, easy. I, you know, my kids outgrew this size of clothing. This person has kids that are, you know, a year or two younger than mine. I'm just going to give them the clothes because I don't need them anymore. And it's this concept of hand-me-downs. You're clothing not only yourself, but other families. And there's this kind of community to it. So I think that's more what this is. And it's much less a, I need to be the strong buff uh, young woman who's independent and thinks that that's a good thing because ultimately being independent is not that great. Um, you're never going to feel fulfilled if you're just fully independent and never ever have to interact with anyone. That's just a lonely existence. So being proud of and championing your skills in so much as they benefit your community and your family is what you should do. Focus on developing those things that you know will benefit your family um, and that are exemplified here and that therefore you can also serve your community doing. And before you have a spouse, you can focus directly on serving your community with those things because you don't have a family that you're necessarily serving. So then you can put even more time into your community as you are able. Yeah. And even within that, this theme of it's not about 
the woman. It's not about what she's doing for herself. You know, what I said tongue in cheek about breaking glass ceilings and all of these sorts of things. Those are very, the world revolves around me and it's all about what I'm accomplishing and the accolades that I can gather for myself. And that's not at all what this is about. It continues to be about, you know, how can I serve? How can I serve well? How can I meet the needs of those God has put in my proximity. These people are the ones God has given. These are my neighbors that God has given me to serve. And so we we don't want to look at this and say, well, you know, poo-pooing work, whatever, you know, work is a good thing. And it's a thing that we do no matter which season of life we're in. It takes different forms and it um, it provides in different ways, but it's always about being intentional, using the gifts that God has given us to serve the 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 people God has put around us. And I think if we overlook that, that we we lose you know, to your point, this idea of community and um, realizing that the world is much bigger than just my own existence. You know, if I'm just living for myself, that is a very lonely existence. And I don't even know who I am because the only way that I know who I am, again, is through relationship. It's through vocation. You know, I know who I am uh, when I am a child because, you know, I have a father and mother, right? My vocation as daughter, I know who I am. And this is why these relationships are so important because a severing of those relationships um, destroys uh, literally the identity of the person who has had that relationship severed, whether it is the parent or the child, or the husband, or the wife, you know, these, when vocations are severed, there is always loss. When we don't fulfill our vocations, we lose our identity. And I think that that's something worth noting and worth pondering as, as we think about these things. Yeah. Things tend to go awry when you shirk vocations and leave them. And that is what we see over and over again now, because there are these vocations that are in conflict with each other. So the vocation of home and mother and all and wife being in conflict with your very, very separate boss who's telling you these things and you have a vocation to both. And if you prioritize one, you're feeling like you're, lo- you're failing the other and that's gonna lead to a lot of conflict, but you're not gonna feel whole and feel like you know your own identity when you're constantly failing at one vocation. And the fact of the matter is that one of those vocations is a God-given and a God-ordained vocation that you can't get out of. And the other one is one that you can get out of. And so you have to prioritize the one that God has given to you and that you are incapable of escaping. You're, you're always going to be a vocation as a wife. You can't escape that once you've entered into it, which is why you need to know that going in. You have to know that you are a wife and you're going to do these things. And these are the things that you will need. You will be called to do for the rest of your life, um, regardless of what else you're called to do. This comes first. And so I think that is something we don't talk about very much and is very important to go into. You need to know that when you're getting married. You need to be going in fully conscious of this is a vocation I am signing up for at the expense of everything else. This will come first because I am entering into a God-ordained vocation, whereas my employment you can willfully terminate at either time on either party. We sign those when we get hired pretty much anywhere. And so you have to have that balance. You have to understand that one is God-ordained and you can't get out of it. So you need to put that one first. And the other one you, you're going to have to sacrifice. If it comes to that, you can sacrifice it. But understanding that that's the point. If you can balance them, balance them, but there's one and it's more important than the other. Um, and then I think kind of transitioning from that, but also not, is as we move on into 25, 26, even 27, but especially 25, 26, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. When you understand what it is you're kind of 
getting yourself into when you're looking for that godly vocation. You want the God-ordained vocation. You hope for marriage. Um, you present yourself a specific way and you aim to be a specific way. And then you try to retain that and you grow in it once you have entered into the vocation. And so I think the way you carry yourself is actually very important. And the way that you act in circles, in, in social circles and in your community is very important and is another topic we tend to be very legalistic about with young women in modern society. And so I think it's a twofold conversation. Number one, how do you present yourself in your actions? And then how do you present yourself in your looks? And so when it comes to actions, we see over and over again that it's self-sacrifice and it is upholding these ideas of home and of responsibility and of caring for the people around you in preparation for when you will do that directly for a spouse. And so that, that in a literal sense comes about by not partaking in the worldly aspect of young social circles, not being, you know, the girl that gets drunk at parties, not being the one who um, kind of flits from guy to guy. There's, you know, these things we know where you want to carry yourself well, even though you're going to feel like a buzzkill. You're going to go to places and you're the only one, you know, you have a group of friends. You're the only one that's fully sober. You're the only one who isn't willing to swear when everybody else is swearing. You're the one who is going to cook and bring food and show up and everybody else has just got, you know, a bag of chips and you made cookies and you just live with it. You, you have to be willing to sort of stand out in the current modern social circle in your actions even when it feels awkward and like you're a buzzkill and like no one wants to date you because they're all dating the girls who are easier to get, who have more fun at parties, who do these things. Because ultimately the God-fearing man is looking for this version, this version of a wife, not for those things. Um, and so I think that's important. I think that goes both ways in that women are going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle with wanting to not be the boring one at parties, wanting to feel involved and included, but not give in and sacrifice your principles. And I think part of that is not scolding or mocking the people around you because you can still be a good witness and you can be very kind to those friends by still being present, but not partaking. Just, you know, not lecturing everybody every five seconds about these things and these actions that they should know, but just being a quiet example and saying, okay, you guys might be drinking more than you need to. I'm going to sit here. I will enjoy your company, but I'm not going to partake in the base forms of this. I'm not going to alienate you, but I'm not going to sacrifice the things I know are right. Um, but this is also helpful for men and kind of a struggle for men is that the men are, of course now looking for wives themselves and they're building up to these ideas of relationships. And the temptation is very much going to be for men to get the girls that are easy to get, who clearly are putting themselves out there trying to just get with whoever they can and be impressive by doing everything that guys like. That's easier for them to kind of achieve. It's an easier hill to walk up. But the good men are going to realize that what they actually want in a wife is what the maybe less fun one at parties acts like and what she does. And her, her morals are going to set a better family life for him than the morals of the girl who parties all the time and who does all these things. So you kind of have that weird half and half uh, where you need to act virtuously and be forgiving of other people's failures in the hopes that they will learn from their failures and that they will learn from you and your attempts to not make the same mistakes without being haughty. And then I think also this comes into the way that you look. You can put yourself forward more so for consideration as a spouse to young men by taking care in the way that you dress, by doing your hair, not, not necessarily by being, you know, full face of makeup all the time. I have to be fully in fashion, but show that you care, that you're trying to be attractive to them, that you want them to be attracted to you. Be mindful of their temptations. Again, be it about serving the people around you, but don't 
don't be surprised that men care about how you look and they would like to see that you, you know, you smell nice, which is as easy as putting deodorant on in the mornings and taking showers regularly. They want to know that you brush your hair or that you have, you know, are, are washing your hair in the way that you should, whether it's curly hair and you're taking care to try and make your curls look nice, or you're brushing your hair out to make sure it looks nice the way that it is. The way that you present yourself sends a message to the young men, either that you're not interested in a relationship and that you're all about piety and therefore they're going to often feel way too intimidated to approach you or feel like you're not actually interested in a relationship because you're not trying. Um, so keep yourself clean, look tidy, try the best that you can to wear outfits and to wear things that suit the way that you look um, and the way that you are built without being a temptation to others. And I think the big way to do that is to find women who are a few steps ahead of you and emulate that um, and to chat with them about it and to have those people that you can talk to who have been married for two years and you're in high school or, and then also have a friend who's, who has been married for 10 years, 15 years, and you're still in high school. You have those women to rely on who can help you in hindsight, learn those things and who can say, this, this would be great in this kind of a situation. I recommend that you do this. Um, and then also quite frankly, find the women who you think are really pretty and whose hair looks wonderful and who, you know, you think they have beautiful, really clear skin. Talk to them, say, I love your hair. How do you take care of it? Can you help me with mine? Just ask for advice and find those ways to present yourself clearly as looking for a spouse without sacrificing what your actions should say about what you think being a spouse is. And so that I think is really important and gets covered a lot here is that you need to portray wisdom and kindness and strength and dignity. And that's both in a physical way and in your actions. Yeah. And, and I think within that we're seeing yet again, just this intentionality that there is is purpose and there is thought behind this which which kind of um brings us to the 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 bigger question you know does proverbs 31 only apply when you are single or only when you're married or only when you are widowed, you know, is there kind of a universality to Proverbs 31? I think that's honestly the most refreshing part of Proverbs 31 is that it is just about women. It's just, this is what women are. And that should be very freeing to you rather than very legalistic is that you by being a woman are capable of these things and can achieve these things and can be this woman. Obviously not perfectly because we are all sinful, but these are innate parts of being a woman are the skills and abilities to do this. And I think that's where our insecurities are going to eat at us the most is, oh, but I'm not good and you know, I don't like cleaning. I'm not going to achieve this. I can't cook. I can't achieve this. I'm not pretty enough. I can't achieve this. By being a woman, you have these skills and it's just growing and developing and focusing on those and not despairing, but realizing that you are going to do the best that you can to work and cultivate these skills and these priorities, and that God willing, you will have a spouse then someday who is going to help you do that as well, who's going to put even more emphasis on that and do work as well to help support you as you pursue those things. So it's this beautiful ability to say, hey, no matter what your skills are in life, whether you're creative and you're really good at drawing or you're fantastic at statistics or you're just you know you have these intellectual skills you innately have these skills of homemaking of um cooking of cleaning of presenting yourself well of uh opening your mouth with wisdom and being kind you have that ability to not eat the bread of idleness you have ways of like applying yourself and those are just innate to who you are as a woman. And I think that is very comforting and should be very comforting, but isn't how we talk. We like to talk now by asking women and all children, what is it you want to be when you grow up? And I think we 
would do much better and fare much better if we continued to do that, but with the understanding that I, as a parent, cannot predict at all what your interest or career is going to be when you're five. I have no idea what it is that you're going to develop and what you're going to be interested in, but I know that you will probably be a spouse. And so I know what your innate skills and abilities are in that regard. So my primary ability and my primary responsibility is to raise you to be a God-fearing future spouse who understands your vocation when you are going to enter into that. Because my parents could not have predicted what my interests were going to be in college, what my interests in a professional sense were going to be, but they could predict that I would probably someday be a wife and they could try to prepare me for that. Because that's the one thing that you can pretty, pretty likely assume is going to happen for your children. And I wish that we did that more often where we could just focus on those things because those are the, those should be the assumed skills of your children and then anything else that they do, you can support, but you can't just assume that they're going to do those other things. So it's the it's the kind of assumed vocation of women, and then men have their own assumed vocation, and it's best to support them in that because you know no matter what, they're going to be a woman, and they're going to be a, a man, and that's what you need to focus on as parents, and that's what you can focus on, especially in those years where you don't know what you want to do you can focus on developing these skills and finding ways to do that. It's kind of looking at things from rather than the, the potential, the already are and growing into what I, what I am. And this is the beautiful thing about a Lutheran understanding of vocation is that these are callings that God has given you, right? It's not this thing that we have to, you know, go out and find the will of God or something like that, right? Um, we've already been given these vocations. Um, we've already been, been called, you know, you are, you are called to be a wife when you become a wife, there's not this this searching this i'm not quite sure what's in the cards for me right no god has said that you are you know this is why we look at our vocations primarily right so we are primarily a hearer of the word that vocation does not change regardless of season of life and we are by virtue of our creation a daughter right? That does not change regardless of season of life. And so these, these sorts of things, they, they help us understand who we are and we live within our vocations and we grow within our vocations. And the vocation of knowing who we are as a daughter is, you know, if we look at Proverbs 31, it ends with a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, right? It doesn't say a wife who fears the Lord is to be praised. It says a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And going back to your point that you made, that this is this is a woman. This is how she lives out uh, being a woman as a wife, but she doesn't, within that vocation, she doesn't cease her other vocations. And so this is an important thing that regardless of season of life, we are living out the reality that God has given us regardless of what the world is telling us a woman should be. Correct. And I think, yeah, those last, I mean, actually the last four verses, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. It's this focus on pursuing that virtue and pursuing these womanly skills, regardless of what your station is in life and what, what you've already achieved. And then just focus rather than on beauty and charm and the way that you're viewed, focus on fear of the Lord and the ability to pursue godly tasks. And that's what's going to make you be praised and be considered truly virtuous. And it bears, it bears fruit. So you will then 
you know, you have this beautiful give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. If you are not concerned of that and you're trying to pursue these godly things, they have a way of then bringing you acclaim and bringing you respect with the people around you of their own accord. And it produces these children who rise up and call her blessed, her husband also who praises her. And I think that goes regardless, you don't praise your mother um, purely because she's your mom. Like there certainly becomes a point where you grow up and you realize that your mom is this fantastic woman and this great God-fearing example of a woman completely separate from being your mom. That's kind of a big part of becoming an adult is kind of stepping back and seeing, okay, but not as my mom, what has my mother actually been teaching me just by being herself? What is, what is it about my mother that makes her wonderful? And you kind of start to see that. And I think that's a good thing to start realizing and appreciating is that being your mom is one vocation that she has, but anybody else is, has the vocation of a mom and they couldn't be your mother. She is a very distinct, um, Proverbs 31 woman who has her own personality and her own gifts and her own strengths. And you have personally benefited from those, but those skills are benefiting all these other people in very, very different ways. And she is praised for them in very many different circles from her friends to her community, to her church members. And from her husband, your father as well. So I think that's a good way to look at it too, is not only to look up and say, well, you're not supposed to read that verse and say, one day my children will rise up and call me blessed and my husband will praise me. Uh, that's not the point. The point is to then look at the women in your life and to see reflected in those women, th these skills and these abilities. And that's the whole point is that you're looking at others and you're focusing on others and that improves you as an individual. And that's not really your concern. It's your concern to serve others. And how that affects you is going to be God-pleasing because it's a God-given vocation to serve others. So it really is about women just being women, but these are the things that make them unique and that make them special. And so I think that's what's important is that you can do this even if you never get married ever because you're still appreciating woman and her vocation, regardless of whether or not you happen to have the vocation of wife to go along with it. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been fantastic, and I look forward to having you back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on The Wittenberg Hour.